The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Good morning and welcome to everyone with us, those of us here in this space and also on live stream. I am Reverend Sonia Sukowski, serving as sabbatical ministry through today, while Reverend Vanessa Southern is away on sabbatical. I want to welcome to the chancel this morning, Carmen Barsity, who is our worship associate here and also a well-known and loved leader of the Faithful Fools community that fosters awareness and analysis of deteriorating social conditions in the United States and the world at large, seen from the level of our streets and facilitates individual and, and collective responses. Thank you to Andre Vera, our guest cellist this morning, and Mark Sum Summer, our music director, and Andley Kessler, our song leader. Please come up and smell the flowers at some point. They are amazing. Thank you to Amy Kelly for these arrangements. We hope all of you here and on live stream have an order of service so that you can follow along in worship. For those of us who are joining us on live stream, if you have any issues or problems at any time, please know that someone is monitoring the chat and can answer your questions. A quick note about COVID. All of the people on the ch chancel have tested this morning for COVID and while masks are no longer required, you are encouraged to wear one or do whatever you need to do to feel safe and comfortable here. To my left is a section against the wall marked and reserved for those people who wanna be in a masked only section. Now, if you have ever bristled at the question of whether your soul is saved, know that Unitarian Universalists care about souls, but rather than worrying about everlasting life, we're focused on creating conditions for people, communities, and biological systems to thrive sustainably together on this planet in the here and now. So the question of what you will save takes on a unique flavor this morning in our worship. Come, let us turn our hearts toward inquiry, toward each other, and toward this beautiful day. Good morning. I welcome you to join me in the lighting of the chalice. The words can be found in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Good morning and welcome to everyone with us those of us here in this space and also on live stream. I am Reverend Sonia Sukowski, serving as sabbatical ministry through today, while Reverend Vanessa Southern is away on sabbatical. I want to welcome to the chancel this morning, Carmen Barsity, who is our worship associate here and also a well-known and loved leader of the Faithful Fools community that fosters awareness and 
analysis of deteriorating social conditions in the United States and the world at large, seen from the level of our streets, and facilitates individual and, and collective responses. Thank you to Andre Vera, our guest cellist this morning, and Mark Sum Summer, our music director, and Andley Kessler, our song leader. Please come up and smell the flowers at some point. They are amazing. Thank you to Amy Kelly for these arrangements. We hope all of you here and on live stream have an order of service so that you can follow along in worship. For those of us who are joining us on live stream, if you have any issues or problems at any time, please know that someone is monitoring the chat and can answer your questions. A quick note about COVID. All of the people on the ch chancel have tested this morning for COVID and while masks are no longer required, you are encouraged to wear one or do whatever you need to do to feel safe and comfortable here. To my left is a section against the wall marked and reserved for those people who wanna be in a masked only section. Now, if you have ever bristled at the question of whether your soul is saved, know that Unitarian Universalists care about souls, but rather than worrying about everlasting life, we're focused on creating conditions for people, communities, and biological systems to thrive sustainably together on this planet in the here and now. So the question of what you will save takes on a unique flavor this morning in our worship. Come, let us turn our hearts toward inquiry, toward each other, and toward this beautiful day. Good morning. I welcome you to join me in the lighting of the chalice. The words can be found in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Praise while the hope. 
Good morning. I'm Galen Workman, a member of the Board of Trustees, and I want to thank you for joining us today. If this is your first time joining us in person, like maybe the youngster there, or if this is your first time watching on live stream, thanks for joining us. If you'd like to receive a copy of our weekly email newsletter, The Flame, which includes a link to the order of service and Sunday live stream, you can fill out one of our yellow connection forms. These forms are on the welcome table in the front, outside the sanctuary, perhaps in a pew in front of you, or there's a link in the live stream for you to sign up there. Also available in the order, uh, live stream is an order of service, a link so you can follow along with what we're doing, which the order of service lists upcoming events and links to opportunities to connect. Please engage in any or all that are of interest to you. There are two special items I want to call your attention to. First is that our Human Rights Working Group and UUs for Justice in the Middle East invite you to a free screening of also happening violence and oppression in the West Bank. 12.30 today in the Thomas Starr King Room. The program offers four short videos on the Palestinian experience under occupation in the West Bank, the plight of families who have fled, the arguments of Israelis who want to empty the occupied land of Palestinians, and what the international community might do to help stem the violence. Organizers do want to advise you that one of the videos contains graphic violence. Then on Saturday, March 16th, from 1 to 3, members are encouraged to join in an exploration of the proposed changes to Article 2 of the Unitarian Universal Association's bylaws. Special guest Reverend Cheryl M. Walker will be here to help familiarize us on this important denominational issue. This year, all Unitarian Universalist congregations across the country will weigh in on the changes to Article 2 of the UU Bylaws Principles and Purposes, which last were revised in 1987. A vote on the proposed amendments will be held at the UUA's General Assembly in June. Registration links and more information on the March 16th adventure are in this, this week's flame. And before we pause and greet one another, I want to give a special invitation to those watching us on live stream to participate in greetings on chat. Maybe say hi and talk about your first time attending a service. And now, on live stream or in person, let's take a moment to greet one another.
Welcome back, welcome back. Isn't it lovely outside? So beautiful, I'm sure that energy has brought, been brought into this space as well. So our story this morning is called The Best Meal. Can you think of the best meal you've ever had? Think about that meal and think about what made it the best meal as we go through our story. Once there was a great chef who was famous throughout the land. She was so good, she taught other people how to cook, and their food was almost as tasty as hers. Just for fun, she would throw fancy dinner parties once a month. Everyone wanted to be invited to these dinners. For these dinners, she would instruct the student chefs to cook new and extravagant dishes. The, the dinner guests, in awe of the chef's skills, would spend the dinner savoring each bite. All you would hear would be quiet little, oh, <sighs> Because she always wanted to feature new goodies to eat at all her parties, she would travel far and wide all over the land to experience new food. Everywhere she went, the town would honor her. The best cooks would create dishes unique to their region. The great chef tasted them all and requested the recipes of the dishes she liked best. As you can imagine, she ate a lot of food and knew a great deal of how to prepare the best meals. One evening, traveling home, the chef stopped at a small country house to ask for directions to a hotel. The family insisted that she spend the night with them, and happily, she was in time for dinner. The mother took a casserole out of the oven. Brother tossed a salad with different vegetables. Sister sliced the bread. Let me help, said the chef, and so she set the table for the four of them. When everyone was seated at the table, the family held hands. The chef, the chef felt the young sister's hand slip into hers, and the chef in turn reached out for the brother's hand. The mother said, to have food upon the table, and the children replied, is a blessing. The mother said, the sunset and the possibility of another sunrise tomorrow is a blessing. The love of family, the warmth of friendship, and the grace of the spirit is a blessing, the children and the chef replied together. Then they laughed and happy that the chef had joined in their grace. They ate, and during the meal, everyone told stories about their day. The chef could not believe how delicious the food was. She didn't want dinner to end. All things, though, must end, and off to bed they all went. In the morning, the chef asked, may I have the recipes, please? And the mother, who was flattered that the chef had so enjoyed her simple meal, gave her the recipes. When the chef got home, she went straight to the kitchen, gave the young chefs the recipes, and told them to start preparation for a dinner party the next night. Tomorrow came, the guests arrived, and the casserole, salad, and bread were served. The chef took a bite and chewed. Something was wrong. Something was missing. 
This was not like the meal she had at the farmhouse. She stormed into the kitchen and she ordered the students to let her know what they had changed in those recipes. They promised they had followed them to the letter. So she sent someone to the farmhouse to bring the mother to her house. The mother came and the chef asked her what missing ingredient was left out of the recipes she gave her. What's missing cannot fit into a recipe, said the mother. Did you and your guests make the meal together? Did you hold fast to each other while giving thanks? Did you share stories during the meal? No, replied the chef. None of that happened. Then the chef realized that sharing a meal together, what we call breaking bread together, was about more than just eating food. It was about working together, sharing lives, sharing laughs. It was about being thankful for the food, not because it was fancy or the best, but because being together to enjoy the food would nourish you, your family, and your friends. After that, the chef decided to give small, intimate dinner parties. She and her guests would work together with the student chefs. They would all sit together, give thanks, and enjoy the very best of meals. I wish for you such meals as well. Please uh, look to your order of service and join me in our unison covenant. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom and to help one another. mother lives in Elk River, Minnesota. The bedroom I stay in when I go home to visit has a door that opens up into a large space that sits above the garage. It is a room that is lined on both sides with shelves that are filled with all kinds of things. Knickknacks, towels, figurines, pictures, plus the floor in between the two walls, also has open boxes with various things setting in them, like our white Santa bears 
that we had when we were younger. This room is often the topic of conversation amongst my siblings and I. There is the constant encouraging of mom to let things go, to pass them on to some other place. When I was a teen, I would go on my own cleaning frenzy and throw things away. And then I'd see through the window my mom going out to the garbage can to see what I had tossed there. Sometimes she'd take things out and bring it back in, or she'd question me on why it was I was throwing something away. And I'd look at her and I'd say, Mom, with some exasperation at her interfering with my getting rid of things. Yet I have to say, there were times I was glad she did her rescue operation, especially when I discovered she had saved my yearbooks that I had thrown out in one of my zealous cleaning moments. In the past years, I have to go through and clean out the homes or rooms of a number of people who have died. It's hard work, and it also brings up a lot of conflicting emotions especially when it's someone whom I have known well and I know what an item meant to them. It's a process that requires time and also respect. I feel obligated in a way to not just put everything thoughtlessly in a box and take it to a thrift store, but rather to pay attention, to pay homage in a way, there are things that when I pick them up, they seem to hold an energy. Not really sure why. So maybe I just set it aside or give it to someone I would believe will cherish it because they cherish the person. And then there are many things that were clearly part of a person's life on earth that was a part of their life and they are no longer here and thus it passes on, just as they have. And I myself, I have plenty of my own things, pieces from various places I have lived and worked and traveled, things that have been given to me, and even things my mom gave me on one of my visits home in her own attempt to pass things on. And I also have some things I have kept from those rooms and houses that I cleaned out after a friend died to remember them. I think about my mom when I look around my own room and wonder if I should let things go. A bookmark, a figurine, a colorful ceramic dish, a volcanic rock or a wooden bowl. As I look, or touch different things, I check in with myself. Is there any feeling, any attachment, any meaning yet? I've done this ritual enough times to know that when there is still a meaningful connection and I notice a little energy in the heart, I hang on to it. As I go, go through my own process, I get why my mom holds on to things. She is the youngest of 10 siblings, and she is the only one left. 
My father and most of his siblings have passed away. Many of her high school and nursing classmates she remained with all her life have now passed on. And she birthed six of us children who used to fill her nights and days, and we are no longer there to fill the many hours she is alone in her house. When I open the door to the room in the garage, yes, I see a lot of stuff. But I recognize most of all that it is things that were a part of her life, of our family life, of my grandparents' life. Sonia wrote in the description for today's service, what is worthwhile to save? Longevity often depends on engagement and connection with people. I guess what I would say to that is yes. I save and I trust my mother saves things because they have a connection with our past and present precious lives. And there is a time to hold and cherish and a time to let go. Kay Jorgensen would often say to me, there is no away. So in that case, if there is no away, then being here with me or there in the house with my mom is just fine for now.
So knowing that this Sunday is Sonia's last Sunday with the congregation and feeling a gratitude for her presence with us these past couple months while Vanessa was on sabbatical, I thought it would be nice to focus our prayer this morning on gratitude. So I invite you to, we're going to find a little quiet in our bodies and presence in our body to, to sit and give attention to our breath, to take a slow, deep breath in, and exhale. And as you breathe in and out, give attention to your shoulders and your arms. Find a com comfortable resting place for your hands, letting your attention move down into your hips and legs. traveling down to your feet and feeling them on the ground. We inhale and exhale. And in this quiet space, I invite you to bring to mind something or someone or some moment you are grateful for in this past week, or maybe even in this morning. Maybe a word or a deed, a four-legged friend, a burst of nature. And as you remember, let the gratitude find its way around in you into areas that may feel a little dark or cloudy or sluggish. And maybe it'll even travel upward and bring forth a smile as you remember. And as we be with one another in this place of gratitude, I offer you this very familiar poem. I thank you for most this amazing day, for the leaping greenly spirits of trees and a blue true dream of sky and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. I who have died am alive again today, and this is the sun's birthday. This is the birthday of life, 
and of love and wings and of the gay great happening illimitably earth. How should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing any, lifted from the know of all nothing, human merely being doubt, unimaginable you. Now the ears of my ears awake, and now the eyes of my eyes are opened. Blessed be. We have a special offering today, so I'd like to invite Dr. Josie Lehrer up to tell you a little bit about it. Good morning, everyone. So it's an honor uh, for the Men's Story Project, uh, which is described a bit in the order of service. Uh, to be the beneficiary of today's offering. And I'd like to tell you a little bit about the project, and I'm happy to also talk further with folks after the service. Um, but what, what is this project that is about men's stories? <laughs> Why uh, does it exist? Um, so I'm a public health uh, researcher and practitioner, and for the past 20 years or so, have been doing different kinds of work in rape crisis centers, uh, HIV support groups with young gay men and trans women, violence prevention and response work uh, in different parts of the world. And the, the, a core contributor uh, to many different forms of totally preventable pain and suffering in the world uh, that us human beings deal with um, has to do with stereotypical harmful narratives about it, what it supposedly means to be a man in different settings and how men can or should be in relationship to themselves and others. And so on the one hand, men and boys themselves are fundamentally beautiful, full-spectrum human beings, <laughs> capable of the full spectrum of human emotion and nurturing and giving and vulnerability and care and vibrancy and all kinds of interests and forms of expression. And then we have social ideas about masculinity, these more limiting or na narrow framings that men and boys often encounter that foster, if they're adhering to them, or if they're on the receiving end of bullying or hazing, or you know, it can foster harm uh, in terms of problems that are preventable, like intimate partner violence, homophobia, transphobia. Uh, we see it in men's higher rates of suicide, of suicide uh, school shootings, 
uh, gender inequality writ large around the world. Um, all kinds of preventable problems that are really rooted in hearts and minds uh, and social ideas about gender, also racism, ableism, all kind of mixed up in a, in a brew that we need to be able to talk about and unpack and untangle um, and challenge and transform. And so the Men's Story Project is an initiative where uh, we work with college campuses and nonprofits and other groups to create very bold, live storytelling productions where groups of men and folks who identify with masculinity in any kind of way publicly share their own personal true stories that take a critical look at how they themselves were taught, raised, pressured, socialized to be as men, give thanks for sources of beauty and love in their life, challenge the ideas about masculinity that need to be challenged, and also challenge those intersecting forms of oppression that also need to be challenged and eradicated. Um, so this work is spreading. Uh, every time we do these productions, people say this needs to continue. Um, and I'm just really grateful uh, to the church and to all of you for your support of this work, uh, which has been spreading throughout the US, uh, Chile, where my family is from, and Gaza and the West Bank some years ago, Canada. We want it to just continue spreading. Uh, so again, thank you. Um, and in terms of uh, the charitable support, uh, the instructions are in the order of service, uh, but you're welcome to write a check with the, um, is it the, the, the special offering uh, in the subject line, uh, or using the QR code, or there's also the website for the project uh, included in the order of service. So, and we'll also be doing a forum on this project uh, in April here. So I look forward to sharing more with you and being in dialogue with you then uh, about this content. Thank you.
I have a go bag <clears throat> for the possibility that I have to leave my home quickly in the event of a disaster. I keep passports, some cash, a list of things to collect, including computers and charge cords. And I have some stories my kids wrote in elementary school, marriage licenses and transcripts as well. And if I have time, I would load up the car with photo albums and perhaps a few camping basics, just in case we end up homeless. In some ways, it's easy to decide what to take if there's an impending disaster, but it's much harder to know what to leave to posterity. And much of what the next generations inherit feels so little connected to what I can do by myself. I mean, I would really love to leave a thriving democracy, a planet where we've learned to live sustainably. I'd love to leave articulated tenets of peace and equity and how to live with compassion. And so I guess that's where a lot of my reading and thinking and efforts in retirement all connect. And I've wondered what was important to my grandparents and to their ancestors, especially as they left their homes in Northern Europe, sometimes at great peril to travel across the sea. Certainly faith was one element I know, simply from stories about religious persecution or stories about losing a spouse and the grinding poverty that was left and so often met with grace and generosity. This was actually the story of an ancestor who helped found Holland, Michigan. From his story, his name was Everett Zagers, he brought his five-year-old son, Hendrik, and he lost his wife, Roel Elfia, in the voyage. For him, saving souls was important by telling how his faith brought so much physical salvation. It came from the kindness of strangers that was front and center. Zagers was actually saved by their compassion. What a different story about saving souls than what we're often confronted with today. It occurs to me that perhaps family, re uh, family recipes are another treasure that haven't made their way into my go bag as some are in my head and others are on the shelf, but perhaps it's that those, those recipes bring those blessings that Reverend Laura talked about more than what the specific ingredients are. I learned from my organic gardening grandmother, Gert, that food straight from the farm is as delicious and nutritious as it is hard labor to create. So leaping forward to 2024, um, 
which started with two interesting classes that were brought to my attention by friends that connect to this topic about what to save. Now, honestly, I really wasn't sure I had time for pursuits outside of being the sabbatical minister here, but they connected to parts of my life that I've been working on for quite some time. The first class was called the Declutter Jamboree. It was taught by a woman named Katie Rogers, a feng shui teacher online. Now, I'm a bit of a pack rat. I can always find a reason to hold on to a card or a book or a placemat <laughs> rather than let it go. And Katie was an advocate for Marie Kondo's method of asking what really sparks joy. And then when something does not spark joy, to continue that sort of inquiry inside by finding a place of gratitude about what this object has meant in my life. It's a very sly way of shifting the experience of looking around my home and seeing clutter <laughs> to looking around my sanctuary and creating this good feeling about what I see because I've either decided it sparks joy or I've appreciated something and let it go and made space. I was really pleased with how much I was able to let go knowing that the secondhand store in my neighborhood called Savers would likely find a better home for these objects. And now I'm, I'm continually pleased by opening a drawer and being able to actually see what's inside it <laughs> and find what I want more easily. I started this class with the question, how many drunk junk drawers do you need? <laughs> and her answer was, mm. this is a process. Nothing will be a junk drawer when we're finished. <laughs> well, I'm still in the process. <laughs> But this practice of taking the time between the Western New Year and the Lunar New Year to let go of things I no longer need is a welcome way to bring in the new energy of the new year. And so I think I'm going to hold on to that period of time for decluttering. It's a great practice for rainy, short days, and it's also a great excuse to leave up the holiday lights for a few extra days, knowing they'll definitely come down by Lunar New Year when the sun sets closer to six than five. And it shifts that pack rat energy from imagining uses that will likely never materialize to knowing what's useful and what sparks joy. The other class I took was offered by the School for the Great Turning, and it was called Tending the Bones. It's an opportunity to delve into the culture of ancestors within a community of seekers. It's led by this amazing duo, Lydia Haratunian, who is of Armenian and Iranian descent, and Leah Song from the band Rising Appalachia. 
I've been seeking a connection with my ancestors and filling in names in my family tree for the last couple of years. My mom's and dad's families both had their genealogy in the United States researched by various folks. And for a long time, I knew the names and the places and the dates, but not so much the where and the why. And what I especially wanted to know was, what was the story? Why would people pick up and leave their homes, make a perilous journey across the sea, travel hundreds, maybe thousands of miles on a continent where they couldn't possibly know what they were jumping into? I had the I am French, German, English, Dutch, Scots-Irish litany down in grade school, and this course gave me more tools, some strategies, and a lot more motivation by connecting with other people who had similar questions. Now, the class is just finished, so what I'm saving is a little bit difficult to name because I feel like I'm just getting started. It's simple, but it also has all these nooks and crannies to investigate. So what I will save are the stories, the songs, and then that human longing that lies underneath those stories and songs that I think many of us connect to at various points in our life. The names and dates are helpful for uncovering these stories, but without a community of researchers, some living and some from long ago, the, the life in these parts of the world would be much harder to fathom and verify. For example, I tried to focus on Scots-Irish ancestry, partly because I was never sure what that meant when I was growing up. Scotland and Ireland at certain points are just 12 miles apart. And Scottish people from the lowlands um, were encouraged by King James I to move to Ulster in Northern Ireland to populate it. This was in the 16 and 1700s. They were religious dissenters. Sound familiar? <laughs> they were unwelcome by the Anglicans in England and then when they got to Ireland, they were unwelcomed by the Catholics. So leaving out a lot of history, a few generations later, disillusioned with the poverty, famine, and war, many of these folks came to the United States and many settled in Appalachia. Some fought in the Revolutionary War, like my great-great-great-great-grandfather, David McCurdy Sloan. I could see how people moving from Scotland to Ireland to the United States might not want to fight for the English. It, it kind of rings true now in a new way, especially when I think about some of the wars we're currently involved in. And it gave me a new interest in the music that often carries the stories. Country, bluegrass, and folk genres that I've always gravitated toward. Speaking of ancestral music, 
My mom taught me to play piano and also to sing harmony from an early age. And I remember many evenings of old time music spent with her mom um, playing on the keyboard and her husband playing on the banjo. And I don't know if this experience of music, music is unique to me or if it's shared by most of humanity, but it is one of those things I save and savor. When I sing with my whole voice, anybody in here like to sing with their whole voice? Aha, there are some. <laughs> and when there are instruments to join in with, especially harmonies, I feel this, this buzzing in my chest. Something comes alive in that moment, in that communion of sound that feels connecting and delightful. Perhaps it's similar stirring in my heart, akin to what Carmen named earlier. So much of those musical forms from just that one part of my ancestry has powerful harmonies built in. This is where shape note singing comes from. If you've ever heard a group of people all singing a cappella, you can read these notes without knowing how to read music. It's, it's simple, but it creates these interesting harmonies. And I think in this time of rapidly advancing artificial intelligence, AI, I want to preserve those things like knowing in my body what it feels like to be in harmony. Or those kinds of wisdom that no computer could possibly fathom or name. In that vein, I'm not really sure how we store up or save love. I know it's really easy to fall in love with the, the little people that I'm privileged to know, my nephews and my friends' children. They're all preschool age, and their enthusiasm for life and connection to the simple joys like ice cream are such tonic for my soul. Now, telling them you love them when they're just two or three might spark a memory, but maybe not. So what I decided to do is to write them letters periodically on their birthday, at Christmas, when I'm thinking about them. When I hear a story that I think, oh, their parents are never gonna remember that. So I write them in a journal that I'll keep and maybe give to them when they're 16 or 25, if I'm lucky enough to live that long because I want them to understand this time in life that was so precious to me, and it's such a blur for most parents. I think of it as savoring the preciousness from that very fresh stage in life when everything is new and amazing, and humans have a sense of their self that is completely unfiltered. And here's what I'll be saving from a very fleeting part of this congregation. I'm grateful to all of you, everybody sitting here, everybody tuning in, 
And the people who give over and over, week in, week out, with their leadership, with their ideas, with their participation, with their treasure. I'm grateful to the staff and the ministers as well because I have never experienced before stepping into such a resourced community. It's, I, I'm getting chills. <laughs> I knew that I could not do everything in 10 hours a week. And the beauty of not being expected to is amazing. <laughs> That's a gift all by itself. Personally, I'm terrible at figuring out how long something will take to do. And often what you do in ministry is something you've never done before. I have to say, Reverend Vanessa must have a gift for this. And I'm grateful to her in many ways. Walking into a month spent really looking at covenant, the promises we want to make to each other to make the world a better place. Why we covenant and what it's important to say in a covenant was really powerful for me. I'm grateful to Reverend Millie and Reverend Laura and Asha Hauser for naming how we want to begin holding space for everyone who wanted to contribute to that covenant. Now you have more clarity you can employ to embrace the togetherness of communal work. I'm grateful to Mari and Carmen and Sam and Richard and all the worship associates who put flesh on the bones of these topics to make them more beautiful and accessible to all of us. And I'm honestly floored by your leadership and each and every one of you who devoted a whole Saturday to creating this covenant with such passion and devotion. Seeing you step up to really insist on accountability and find words to convey it fills me with hope. It fills me with hope for our communities, and it fills me with hope for humanity. There's something really beautiful about working with a gifted staff. Dan and the Sextons who have such talents <laughs> and know how, uh, how, know how in the ways of this historic building and what it takes to make it safe and functional and beautiful right here in the heart of San Francisco. Mark was telling me an amazing story about uh, them pulling out all the stops and all their creativity when floods were raining down last year. If you haven't heard it, you should ask him. <laughs> Susie, who has the capacity to keep on top of rentals and rent reservations, that's a big job. That's a, a face out to the community that's really needed and hard. Jonathan, who takes a few words on a page and makes them come alive through people and video and publications and sound. Laura Ludwig and Judy and Alicia, who create a lot of the glue that holds so much of what we envision together. 
the ministers who are affiliated with UU San Francisco, bringing pastoral talents like Reverend Fred and organizing talent like Reverend Millie and entrepreneurial talents like Reverend Shannon, and then Reverend Laura, who is so deeply wise, right? Along with her spar sparkling, sparkling smile and ability to connect. Too much alliteration. <laughs> and, of course, so many musicians. Andre and Mark and Rayco, along with the bell choir and the voice choir and Jonathan on drums <laughs> and the gorgeous voices who lead us in song and share their solos. Coming from a small congregation where I was serving one quarter time and lived a hundred miles away, this feeling of all of you saying yes, and not only just saying yes, but showing and living into those yeses has given me an embodied sense of being resourced in a community that I hope will linger throughout my days. Just as the course for delving into ancestry was meant to put cultural flesh on the bones of names and dates, you have put a whole lot of the best in humanity on the bones of our UU faith. It is right relationship. It is dwelling together in peace, living into the spirit of love, you have something really special here. It's been my pleasure to be a tiny part of it. So please, as you're willing and able, rise and sing with us the hymn number 187 in the gray hymnal. It sounds along the ages. and law new 
to put your hand over your heart and notice its stirrings and reach your other hand out perhaps to the community beyond our walls perhaps to the back of a loved one's heart with permission nearby may we follow these uniquely human stirrings to savor and save these lives our communities, and this gorgeous planet. Blessed be. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> 